coming up next on the GeoTrack podcast. It blew up. I mean, it literally blew up. Uh, back in COVID, when everything shut down, there was no place to get the information that we were providing. And that was one of the things that was in the back of my head. If we could open a venue that people can get this information, we're likely going to be the only place they can get it from. And we were. And as a result, we started getting connections globally. Welcome to August, everybody. It's late summer in the Northern Hemisphere and the time of year when we expect tropical cyclone activity to really ramp up in the Atlantic Basin, as well as the Eastern and Western Pacific. The scientific consensus points towards an active Atlantic hurricane season this year. As we approach the heart of hurricane season, a trusted source of information you can turn to is the National Tropical Weather Conference. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Howe. Welcome to the GeoTrek podcast. This is episode 39 of the podcast titled the National Tropical Weather Conference with Alex Garcia and Tim Smith. This conference has an in-person meeting in South Padre Island, Texas in early April every year, as well as weekly video conferences that you can participate in every Wednesday morning. Our guests on this show will be Alex Garcia and Tim Smith, two leaders who are the driving force behind this conference's success. You're going to love this podcast if you have an interest in hurricanes and tropical weather, as well as broadcast meteorology, emergency management, or operational meteorology. Hey, a bit about the podcast. If you're new, GeoTrek travels the world to find stories about the relationship with people and nature. Our stories investigate the impact of extreme weather, disasters, and hazards on individuals and community. Our goal is to help you better understand how the world works so you can take actions to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient from all the extremes that Mother Nature can throw at us. Hey, before we get into this episode, we have a favor to ask of you. We'd really appreciate if you would subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Your subscription helps us mark progress, which enables us to make more professional partnerships moving forward and ensures many more episodes of the GeoTrek podcast in the future. Well, hey, let's kick off our shoes and jump into the sand with Alex and Tim. We've got a drink for you at the Beach Cabana, and we can't wait to hang out and have some great tropical fun as we explore the National Tropical Weather Conference together with you. Well, hey, let's introduce this week's guest. Alex Garcia is a seasoned media professional and educator. He spent over 30 years in education as a public school teacher and university professor. He is chief meteorologist at KABB-TV in San Antonio and the CEO of the Storm Science Network. Tim Smith is chief meteorologist at KRGV Channel 5 News Team in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. A native of Batesville, Indiana, and graduate of Indiana University, Tim worked at several radio stations in Indiana before heading for Texas in 1981. He's the vice president of the Storm Science Network, an educational outreach organization which puts together the National Tropical Weather Conference at South Padre Island in April of each year. Alex and Tim, thank you so much for coming on the GeoTrek podcast. You know, you guys have so much experience in broadcast meteorology. I have to ask you, how did you become so interested in the weather? Like, can you trace this back to a big storm or a big weather event that you experienced when you were growing up? Oh, uh, I guess it would start way back in the early 60s. That gives you a hint of how old I am. Uh, (laughs) Hurricane Carla went through right through Hurricane Carla, lived in Victoria, Texas. And it went right across the eye, just past 10 miles east. So that kind of uh, sparked that old weather interest in me, and it stayed with me, uh, both that and science, all the way through. Wow. Sometimes, you know, one huge storm, especially when we're kids, that can change our perspective for life, you know? It does. I can, I can hear the storm right now in, 
I still see the imagery uh, back from that time frame as well. One of the things I remember is a big tree being lifted next door and uh, dropped down on the neighbor's house. And for our listeners not familiar with Carla, it was a Category 4 hurricane that hit the Central Texas coast. Not only was it intense, it was also really geographically large, huge impacts along the Central and Upper Texas coast and even in Louisiana. Tim, what about you? What, what really got you interested in weather, climate, and physical science? I grew up in Indiana, which is not hurricane country at all, um, although they seem to get more rain from some of the storms that you know, move across that part of the country eventually. But there was the 1974 tornado outbreak that went across that part of the country. Xenia, Ohio was hit, and I was about you know, 40 miles from Xenia, Ohio, just across the state line in Indiana. A little town that I lived in uh, right next to us uh, called Hamburg, Indiana, like hamburger without the er, um, was devastated by a tornado um, that day. Um, people died in Hamburg, and the only building left standing in town was the church, part of the church, and one house. The rest of the town was just destroyed. And so weather became a hobby. I, I didn't anticipate it being a profession. Yeah, you know, that part of the Midwest, though, every year you're under the gun for tornadoes, hail, damaging winds. So probably the spring was a time that you were keeping your eye to the sky up there. Alex, what are the different kinds of jobs you've had in the field of weather, meteorology, broadcasting? Uh, maybe you could walk us through a little bit of your professional background. Uh, if we're just looking at broadcasting, I started in radio a long time ago when I was about 16. Did a lot of radio, was a rock jock, uh, did uh, all kinds of radio programming for many years. That paid my way through college. I used to work at four different radio stations at the same time. And I had to carry little cue cards with me to remember what station I was working at so I wouldn't say the wrong, <laughs> the wrong call letters. Uh, eventually, I just kind of fell into TV uh, by accident, a friend of mine was doing TV weather in Victoria and he had to leave to go take care of his mom, asked me to fill in. I filled in a couple of times. The third time he said, look, I'm not coming back. The job's yours. And that's how I ended up in television. Uh, so I figured at that point, I'd better go back to school and get my, my degree or certification or something. And from there, ended up in San Antonio and here I am. Wait, we have to go back to this rock jock story. So were, were there like radio, pro, uh, there were like radio programs then that you hosted? Uh, yeah, I was actually a DJ, a rock, a rock jock from uh, 7 to midnight in Corpus Christi, KRYS Radio. Was this like people could call in and then request a song or something like that, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's the real stuff. Uh, not like you, like you hear today. Everything's recorded and it's put on tape and it's recorded in somebody's basement. No, I was actually sitting there in a control room uh, with the two turntables because I spun records for a while. We had all the carts up in front. We had all the commercials on one side. Uh, we had reel-to-reels that we recorded other network programming. And so, yeah, it was all off the top of your head. The commercials were on postcards. You got the text, you got the bullet points, and you read the spots. And then when you went live, we actually have a trailer. So it's a big 30-foot trailer. They built a control room in there with all glass. The best thing of it, they took it out to Padre Island. And we're there live on Padre Island doing our radio show, which is the best thing ever. Oh, that is fascinating. You know, that interaction you had with the local community and just like you said, you're reading the commercials and getting to know the different sponsors and stuff. That's pretty cool. You just had, you just had to make up the commercials out of your head, but they had to be 30 <laughs> seconds and not over. Otherwise, the GM would get a little upset with you. That is fascinating. Tim, what about you? What are some of the different jobs you've had in broadcasting? Anything related with meteorology? 
I think you'll find this is where our career paths kind of start to parallel because I was a jock as well. Um, all through college uh, at Indiana University, worked at two different radio stations at Indiana University. One of them was a freeform FM. We were on cable. That was it. Um, and you could play anything except top 40. Um, so I really learned to appreciate all kinds of music in, in that radio station. Um, and, you know, we could get maybe one call a night, maybe, if we were lucky. And usually it was a station manager saying, yeah, I said you can play anything, but maybe not that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then and then after college, went back to my hometown of Batesville, Indiana, and became news director for WRBI, the the hometown radio station. Uh, we called it the the Tri County News Authority. I preferred the Tri State News Authority because we were Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, which we almost reached. Um, so yeah, I did the morning the mornings. I did all the news in the morning. I signed the radio station on the air at at five fifty seven thirty a.m. Um, had to go in and play the national anthem and then hit the network news at six and then do a 10 minute local newscast at 605 and then did all the programming up through 9 a.m which was news uh the farm report the stock market from yesterday and, and played some music mixed in with it um and then kept doing news all day long but did that for for about a year and then uh, an opening came in television at krgv in south texas and uh, a friend of mine was working there and she said you know you should come down here but the job opening is to do weather on the weekends and i said well you know ever since that tornado outbreak i've kind of been a weather hobbyist i can learn to do weather so i did a a, a video demo in the basement of a hospital in indianapolis with maps drawn on poster board um the map of the united states a map of indiana uh, i took you know the highs and lows off the newspaper map they used to be weather maps in the newspaper and then stood in front of a camera and did a weathercast and sent it to the news director at krgv and he said that's creative enough you got the job come on down um and that was that was 1983. um i was a weekend weather guy and, and about not long after that i became the chief guys let's transition to talk a little bit about the national tropical weather conference what what is the goal for the ntwc and maybe a little background like how did it get started Oh man, what a story to tell, right? <laughs> I, great story. I will let Tim tell the story because I always end up telling the story. So I'll let Tim tell the story this time. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we were we we met. I don't know what year it was. We were at the uh, a weather conference in the Bahamas, um, and there was a Texas contingent that kind of hanging out together. But Alex and I hadn't met until we were leaving the Bahamas. And we were at the airport, and I went to get something to drink and came back, and my wife says, you need to meet this guy. Uh, I was like, what guy? Oh, this Alex guy. And so we started talking. It turned out we had a lot of things in common. We were doing a lot of things, uh, a lot of similar things, doing teacher workshops and things like that. He was doing them in San Antonio. I was doing them in the Valley. We thought, well, we should do this together. And Alex was about 10 steps ahead of me in that sequence. Uh, but but we were doing some of the, some of the same things. Um, so we, we came back, and we're doing things, and then um, – that Bahamas conference ended, um, we went in a couple of years without, and we realized that we missed the information. We missed that opportunity to meet with the scientists, to meet with the director of the Hurricane Center and Dr. Klotzbach and Dr. Gray and all these experts in the field. We, we'd gotten used to doing that every year, and all of a sudden it was gone. We said, well, we put events together, you know, and Alex said, well, we should do our own. And I said, well, I, I live close to South Pottery Island, and I know some people there. We, we can probably, you know, make it work. So uh, we started looking at the options, and we talked to the people at South Pottery Island, talked to hotels, and, and finally put it together and decided, yeah, we can do this. Um, Alex had been doing a couple of 
serious meteorological events in San Antonio already um, with bringing in people like Bill Reed. Um, so Alex already had those relationships and that really is what made it go because we could go to Bill and say, Bill, who do you recommend we bring in? And Bill had some great suggestions and, and great contacts. And so it was born. We The first one was at the East of the Grand Beach Resort on South Padre Island in uh, 2013, I believe. Um, and there were more more presenters than listeners. Um, yes. I think we had probably 30 presenters and 25 attendees, uh, but the presenters were kind enough to sit in the audience so it looked like there were more people. Um, and it grew from there. So that's kind of where it got started. Yeah, we started out with 10, 10 broadcast meteorologists. The last year we finished up, uh, we had like 110, 150. Prior to the pandemic, yeah. Pandemic yeah, was- prior was, to was, the was pandemic. Big, and, so, and now we're rebuilding, yeah. There was a big focus on broadcast meteorology, but I, I've noticed now there's a mix. There's other. There's a lot of people that are not broadcast meteorologists. Has this changed a bit over time? Um, let's talk a little bit about the last, I guess, nine years of the conference. I've tried to, to uh, diversify it out. Uh, we initially started out with broadcast meteorologists, but I saw there was a need uh, for just emergency managers uh, beyond the National Hurricane conference which they usually go to that's got like four or five thousand uh, attendees and we're looking 130 at max 150 and so with our conference you get an opportunity to sit down and talk with the presenters you get to have lunch with them you get to have dinner with them you get to interact with them a lot more and so I started kind of spreading the topics out so that we could bring in uh, the emergency managers and the other meteorologists that are not necessarily in broadcast but are in emergency uh, positions either with corporations or with businesses and so that's what helped kind of spread it out a little bit and but we still our still main focus is still on broadcast because we still have the live shots we're the only conference that does that where you can come in get a live shot and send it right back to your newscast that same day uh, with one of the experts that we have so that's one of the unique things about us, but it, it was a it was a purposeful thing to diversify. So it seems like there's really an intentional focus on broadcast meteorology and other folks that do like operational emergency weather stuff related to tropical weather, right? This might be someone that works for a county or parish or a city or, or even maybe private sector, but it seems almost more on the decision-making side or the operation side, would that be correct? As opposed to, I've been to some conferences, I was at a conference where there were like 54 academics and they're, it's just all, it's all about their published papers and there's value in that, but it felt very different than broadcast meteorologists or people doing like real time operational meteorology. Right, uh, when, you're, when you're doing the academics, it's good. And we have, occasionally we have an academic presentation, but our conference is more focused on trying to get information out that can be in turn sent out to the community. So we, we try to, to, to focus on that way because our primary thing is to educate the people that come to our conference so they can turn around and educate the people that they deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, a lot of times the weather person in a community or a city, they're, they're often the main science person that's educating the masses, you know, on, on that local TV station or radio. So I see what you're saying. You're helping educate them so they can go back and educate their audience. Exactly. 
So I heard about this conference, I think back in 2016 through Lou Fincher, the late Lou Fincher. He, he was always had a passion for emergency management, especially with industry. He was like, how you have to come to this conference? I was working for a small nonprofit during those years and um, I was actually in Texas and the nonprofit was like, sorry, we don't have a travel budget. I said, no, it's in state. It's not that far. They said, we don't care. We have, we have no travel budget for you. So I heard about this for a couple of years. I couldn't come. And then I, then I was in Florida. I was so finally 2020 came and I, I registered. I was accepted. I got my ticket. I was so excited. And then COVID hit. I was like, I am never going to get to South Padre Island. It, I, it, it was like four or five years I was trying at that point. And, and finally, when it was well, I had the ticket in my hand and COVID hit. Um, so I, I was just I was like, oh, man, the whole thing's going to be canceled. I won't even get to connect at all. And then you guys launched this virtual, you know, the weekly virtual video, I mean, which I couldn't believe because COVID really hit hard mid-March of 2020. The conference is usually the first week of April. I didn't think there's any way that there'd be any kind of conference that year, but you guys kind of somehow turned this into a, a national, you know, video conference quickly. Could you tell the, the story behind that? I mean, how did that happen? How did you even pull that off in such short time? Well, it took, uh, <laughs> it took a lot of work. Uh, a lot of research. I knew that if we were going to do, if we were going to flip it in that direction, it had to be good. It couldn't be just little boxes on a screen. It had to look like broadcast. It had to look like network. But the problem was back then I couldn't figure out how do we bring in people on separate, separate areas without having expensive live views at everybody's home. So I did a lot of research and came up with Zoom zoom back then will allow you to bring in people like we are now but i can isolate the video feed so every com i've got a series of laptops every laptop is connected to zoom and that becomes my camera or my feed so i can bring in people so i learned how to do that then i figured i needed a really high level broadcast switcher to be able to do this but those things are not cheap i had to go find out where am i going to get this from and then how am I gonna work it? Because I'm used to doing the smaller ones, not these 4ME type things. But uh, I did learn how to do that, taught myself how to do that, lots of YouTube stuff. Uh, did get uh, the confirmation that we have money to buy this. So I bought it, put it all together. Uh, in the meantime, I'm telling Tim, we gotta do this, we gotta do that, get this <laughs> thing set up. So he's working like crazy, getting the other things set up for us while I'm working on the technical side of this thing trying to make it happen. And then at the same time, you know, I, I do meteorology, I do all of this, but I also, and, and Tim's a musician as well. We're both musicians. I'm an artist, I do 3D graphics, I do 2D graphics. I create all kinds of stuff. So everything you see on the National Tropical Weather Conference that live, that open and the clothes and the animation, that's me created in my little laptop that I'm looking at right now. Uh, using After Effects and uh, 3D programs and Premiere Pro and Illustrator and Photoshop and all these other things. So I knew I had to get all of that done. So it was a, it was a whirlwind of creating program assets even before we sat down and said, okay, this is what we're gonna do, how we're gonna bring it in. And then getting the people to say, here's the link, come into the link, don't jump, don't call me anytime before this, because if you do, you're gonna interrupt the program that I'm running right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to make sure I had people set up to call in at the right time. And uh, it, we pulled it off. I mean, it worked uh, that first time around. And I think that first time that we had Phil Klotzbach come on, uh, we had something like, 
60,000, 70,000 people all on at once. But back then we didn't quite figure it out. At least I didn't figure it out. I had everybody, I just sent everybody the link. So it's like where we are now, everybody's in that link. So everybody was all those little boxes, yeah, in boxes and coughing and the whole bit. And I had to, I had to mute people who didn't mute themselves. So we finally figured out, like, yep, smart person here. Uh, let's not give that link to everybody, but let's just give them the link where we're gonna. This is where we're gonna be live. And Tim is my friend that goes over there and watches the uh, the feed, so he can get the questions, so that we can put those over that way there's only those of us who need to be on this channel and there's no coughing and muting and all that other stuff going on yeah. one of the one of the things was that that you know you got it all set up on zoom we're good to go and then yeah national yeah. hurricane center and the government says oh we're not allowed to use zoom yes exactly <laughs> wait what so what, what was that about uh well, i was, don't know go ahead alex it, it was one of those things that they said look we can't use zoom and so, okay, so we go to Google Voice. Let's go do that. Let's make that happen. So it was a whole learning process of how to bring everybody in on Google Voice again and get that going. So we have those two options, and then we also have Skype. Skype is a little <laughs> off and on, but we tend to stay with Zoom. And uh, I've, I've got a, a Zoom account that allows us to do HD, which means our, our feeds look a little bit better than everyone else's in the lower resolution. But... Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, getting the technical stuff going. Uh, if I could turn the camera back around so you could see what I'm looking at, uh, you'd be like, holy mackerel. <laughs> I get the feeling that both you guys are still catching up on sleep from 2020. <laughs> we kind of are. Sleep's overrated. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot of work that you both put in. Yeah, we're planning the next year's conference already. So for those of you that haven't seen the National Tropical Weather Conference, it looks incredibly professional. What Alex is talking about, it it opens with animations and you're like, whoa, this is it draws you in. And then all of a sudden there's a screen with a speaker, a couple of people on a panel. And like he had mentioned, uh, Tim Smith is is watching the feed where people can text in questions or, or type in questions they have. And then those are shared with the, the guest. I mean, it just flows really well. Uh, this is a weekly broadcast, usually on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock a.m. Central through hurricane season and beyond it's it's a fantastic job you guys do it's you know it's been a lot of fun doing it has been fun um and and we pick topics that we think will be interesting to as many people as possible but things that we're interested in too you know stuff that we enjoy learning about and so that makes it it makes it even that much more fun to do it because it's stuff that we're fascinated by but yet uh, it serves a purpose you know reaches out to to hopefully a relatively large audience and we can judge by the questions that are coming in uh, there was a time when we were uh, having people text questions. I like to put my cell number up there. Yeah. <laughs> and they were texting questions to my cell phone. Uh, you know, just you go through iterations as you learn the technology. And, and Alex has done an amazing job and always has with technology. And so uh, it makes it easy on my end. I just read questions, you know. Alex, you mentioned, you mentioned when you switched to video during COVID, there's Phil Klotzbach giving the seasonal outlook and you have 60,000 people that are tuned into this. So, I mean, what did the COVID adjustment and, and, you know, COVID crushed a lot of businesses, but then other businesses and organizations found ways to actually explode their reach. And it sounds like that's what you guys did with National Tropical Weather Conference. I mean, how did that change what the audience looks like, the audience numbers, the interactions? I mean, how did that all change during the COVID era? It blew up. I mean, it literally blew up. Uh, back in COVID, when everything shut down, there was no place to get the information that we were providing. And that was one of the things that was in the back of my head. If we could open a venue that people can get this information, 
we're likely going to be the only place they can get it from. And we were. And as a result, we started getting connections globally. I mean, we, we got connections from Brazil, from Mexico, from Puerto Rico, from uh, all areas in South America. We've even got uh, England, UK, Italy, uh, Greece, where else there, Egypt. We're just global now in 61 countries. Uh, and that spread really quick during that first year. Uh, so it opened up our audience, it opened up us to our audience and our audience to us all, all through the, the globe. And it really helped spread who we were and what we do and the information that we were providing. There's a statistician that talks about this topic of anti-fragility. The concept is when you stress some things, they actually improve. Like the human body, when you stress it with exercise, it actually improves it. Uh, a, a moderate wind will actually invigorate a forest fire, but it'll blow out a candle, right? So some things, you add a little bit of stress and it actually improves it. Other things, it destroys it. I mean, you guys really stand out as like a stressor was added and you use this to really help explode your reach. It's a really inspirational story, I think. Yeah, it's exciting, uh, Tim. Uh, I, yeah, I think what it's doing for the actual conference, the in-person conference, is making it so much better because we've been able to meet, you know, so many new people through these meetings that that we hadn't met yet. And one person leads us to another, leads us to another, and we get suggestions from viewers. And and it really, I mean, you know, that's kind of how we met you, Hal. You know, you you kind of came in through this and started doing this. And all I know is when we finally met you at the in-person conference this year, you're taller than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but but otherwise, you know, I knew you already. You know, we, we felt like we were already friends because we'd been doing this. And it really opens up the door to make the in-person conference even better because of the people we've been able to meet by doing this. So it really has you know, improve the, the overall product, I think, significantly. Not that it was bad before. It was a good product before, but I think it's even a much better product now because of this. Tim, I'm glad you mentioned the in-person conference because there's been so much focus on the success of the weekly video conference. Could, could you guys share a little bit about the in-person conference as well? Sure, I'll, I can start with that. We, it's every year April, it's the first first weekend ish in April. Um, depends on a bunch of schedules, but and we're in South Padre Island, Texas. Uh, we're back at the Marriott Resort again this year, which is really a terrific facility. Um, and with the conference, we try to do a lot of things. We try to number one provide content that uh, for the broadcasters they can take it back and use in their hurricane specials. They can use it. If a hurricane threatens, they've got the knowledge that they've learned through this conference um, that's coming from speakers like like yourself, speakers like uh, all the experts who come in, Phil Klotzbach and the director of the Hurricane Center and all these experts that come in and make presentations. Um, but we also try to make the conference fun for you. Um, we want you to learn a lot. We also want you to have a good time while you're there. Uh, we always say, you know, Alex is in charge of content. I'm in charge of fun. Um, and so the content is always top-notch, superb, and we try to make sure you have a good time while you're here. We take you out to eat, we do different activities, we make sure there's just, you know, a good time while you're there. Try to make sure you have good food, good drinks, and uh, we even had our own custom-made beer this year, so how, how much more fun can you have than that, right? Yeah, and we, and we took that old Bahamas conference idea of a diner round, and we brought it to South Padre, and it's been awesome. Wait, could you explain that, what you mean by a diner round? Go ahead, Tim. Sure, we we um, we work with restaurants. We'll we'll break the, the 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 group. There's let's say there's a hundred people. Break them down into groups of about a dozen, and take each group out to eat at a different restaurant. Um, on it's usually on Thursday night, and so 
you know, if you sign up for the restaurant you want to go to, you want to go to Gabriella's Italian cuisine, then you get in the group that goes to Gabriella's. We put you in a shuttle and we take you to Gabriella's, and and we've had amazing support from the South Padre Island community because Gabriella's pays for the dinner. Uh, we don't pay for it. The restaurant comps the dinner for our group. And if you want to have a drink, you're on your own, but they comp the dinner. Um, and so we've got about I don't know eight or ten restaurants that we use. Um, and it varies because restaurants come and go, but there's a few that have been there from the beginning, like Gabriella's. That's why I mentioned them. Um, that that they, t- they take care of the dinner. They comp it. And they put on their very best show. Uh, so when you go in there, they're going to make sure you get a good meal and uh, and have a good time. And you're sitting there with, with Phil Klotzbach or Bill Reed or, uh, you know, any of these, you know, uh, people that you never would otherwise have the chance to see in person and visit with. But the, the speakers at the conference and you have dinner with them. And it's just a dozen people. So it's a wonderful opportunity to meet and tell stories and learn. But it's just really a cool evening for everybody. Yeah, that dinner this year was one of my favorite parts of the conference. I mean, just because you got an extended time with, you know, the people at your table, you got to really know people really well. Yeah, you know, and, and all the speakers are so gracious about about doing it. They're anxious to go, too. And we encourage them to not... You know, we don't want everybody from the Hurricane Center to go out to eat together. We want them to separate so they can be with different people. So they're not, you know, we don't want them all at the same table. We want one here, one there, one here. So they get the chance to, to visit with more people. And they're all so good about doing it. It's just, it, it just turned out to be a really great experience. Yeah. Alex, what's your favorite thing about when you, when you actually get in the conference, you're engaging with people? What stands out to you that makes this conference unique? Wow. I think probably the... Uh, the cadre of people that we bring in, the experts that we bring in, we try to, we have some regulars, but we try to bring in new experts every year. And the fact that you get to uh, talk with these individuals, at least while Tim and I are preparing it, we get to talk to them before the conference and then we get to meet them and uh, then have lunch with them, have dinner with them. But I think it's, it's exciting to be able to introduce them to the attendees, to, to see that excitement on their face, to say, oh, look, I'm standing right next to Ken Graham. This is awesome. Yeah, the, the amount of personal interaction with some of these like famous people that we all hear about in the hurricane community, I thought that was a really cool part of the conference. The yeah, Josh Morgamans of the world. You know? Yes, the Josh Morgamans. I always think it's kind of cool, like when I'm driving to work, my phone rings and I'm looking down, it says Ken Graham or Josh Morgaman <laughs> <laughs> or Phil Klotz back. And so, oh, and it, it's like, who gets those calls, you know? Yeah, that is pretty cool. Hey, when you guys, you know, look into the future with National Tropical Weather Conference, you know, what, what are you hoping for, say, in the next five to ten years? I'm hoping we're still going in the next five or ten years. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we increase the number of in-person attendees. I'd like to see us get up to maybe about 150, 175, no bigger than that, because I'd like for it to stay a small but yet unique conference. Uh, I'd like to really get more more experts in and maybe expand a day so that we're able to deliver more topics and more information for people. And I, I agree with that. You know, we call ourselves the biggest little conference in the industry because we're small, but yet we're big. You know, we, we reach a lot of people because of the broadcasters who can and spread the word back out. And, um, and and of course, it all takes support. We've got some great support that helps us do that. Um, you know, corporate supporters who are part of it. Uh, we'd like to increase that. And by increasing that, then we can increase the attendees and keep the cost down. 
Uh, we try to keep the cost reasonable for the for the people who attend. Um, some conferences are so expensive, and we try to keep it to, you know, once you're there, you're covered. You know, you once you walk in the door, you're not going to spend any more money. You're done. We we take care of everything, and so we want to keep it that way, um, and 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 keep it good. You know, one of the things we talked about on the social side, and I think this is one of the best parts of the conference, is the um, the the. The social hour, the the have the, the the hospitality suite. Hospitality suite. The, hosp <laughs> the hospitality suite that's open every night is a chance for everybody to come together and sit there with a drink in their hand, and just talk, and just talk. And it's the loudest room in the hotel, because there's you know if there's forty people, there's thirty conversations going, and it's loud. But it's a chance for for Hal, you and I, to sit down and talk over a you know over a over a cold drink, or for for Ken Graham and Jamie Rome to talk with. The broadcasters from Louisiana, you know, and it's just loud, and everybody goes, and it's just a great opportunity. And that I think, as long as we can do that, it'll help grow the conference because it gives yeah. people an opportunity. And the the way this was set up, you know, you guys had like the restaurant bar that's open air right out there on the beach with live music, and I mean that's as the sun's setting, people are just hanging out, walking the beach, and then as after it gets dark, people were going to the hospitality suite. It's like the whole evening was just set up to be so social. I thought that was really well done at the conference. The you know there's there's on, on the last night of the conference after the farewell party uh, it always ends with fireworks um, and the the first year we did the fireworks I'll never forget you know we were we yeah. were uh, we were at Clayton's Beach Bar and we walk outside you know we we time it perfectly so we're all done you know okay let's step outside we go outside and there's fireworks and the people are coming up patting us on the back saying oh my gosh you have outdone I can't believe you got fireworks for the conference oh you have outdone yourselves this is crazy. <laughs> And about that time, the DJ comes on the big PA and says, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, every Friday night at Clayton's at 9.15. I was like, oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, you we just it. timed it out. <laughs> we need to find a way to, to distract that DJ, and then people will be like, okay, th this, is, this is insane. They even have their own fireworks display, you know? <laughs> we had them convinced for about two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we did. It was funny. It really was. Guys, with your decades experience in science communication, weather communication, what advice would you have for young broadcasters, science communicators? I mean, are there any big pictures that you'd like to share from your experience, you know, not only with the conference, but just in your broadcast meteorology experience as well? Wow, that's a loaded question. I know, and it's very broad. If, if there's one or two things that come to mind, I think it would help some of our young scientists out there. Well, how can I say this? <laughs> the landscape is changing. Let's put it that way. The landscape of, is changing. The landscape of communication, the way we do it, it's not what it was five years ago. It's definitely not what it was 15 to 20 years ago. We are a lot more socially connected instead of turning on a radio a long time ago in the 50s when you got your information. Or in the 60s, you turned on one of the big networks. Well, those big networks are there, but there's a lot of other networks too. So everything has changed in the way that we get information. And so if you're just getting into this, it would be a really important thing for you to do is to get a good grip on what the best method, the best platform of communication there is. And it's no longer what it used to be. So start thinking out of the box to be able to deliver the information that you have today. That's a good perspective. So, so instead of just looking back at the way things have been done, maybe assessing the present and, and looking to the future too, where are things going perhaps? Yeah, it's, uh, there's a good saying, a friend of mine, Catherine Hayhoe said that 
we can't look in the rear view anymore to figure out where we're going because where we're going, we don't know. We've never been there before. So we've got to look out of the box. No, I totally agree. I think uh, I think Marty McFly wasn't a, one of the Back to the Future. I think had a had a perspective like that too, right? You know, uh, about really it got you know as a little kid it got me thinking about the future. Um, no, go, great great advice there, Alex. What about you, Tim? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think you know, and I agree 100 percent with what Alex said. I think we're we're entering uncharted territory. We we always have been, but I think now it's happening faster than ever. Um, you know, people are, are still watching the weather on television, but now they're watching more on their cell phone than on television. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, I like to think that, that being connected matters. Being connected, whether it's, you know, your social media accounts, whether it's even even still on television, you got to be connected to the community. And that's really important. And I think if you look at, you know, if you're if you're in San Antonio, you want to watch weather on television. The guy to watch is Alex. Everybody knows. Watch Alex Garcia. You know, I like to think if you're in the Rio Grande Valley, the guy to watch. You know, I hope it's. Yeah, you know, I hope my name comes up somewhere near the top of the list. Um, if you're in Lafayette, Louisiana, you want to watch Rob Perillo because Rob is that connected guy. If you're in Myrtle Beach, you want to watch Ed Piotrowski. You need to be that person and you know be at the top of the heap in your community, and you do that by being connected. Um, and it's interesting that I mentioned those names because those are all people that come to this conference every year. Um, because they understand the need to know and to be get that step ahead of everybody else, to know that extra little bit of knowledge that will make them the one that's connected with the community. And I think that's really, really important that you, you become part of your community and, and whatever medium it is, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, on television, for goodness sake, whatever it is, you know, be connected. And once you're connected, I think, you know, stay strong and, and keep doing it and you'll be all right. Yeah. There's... Something uh, kind of funny I always think about when we're talking about connection. Tim and I went to uh, Walt Disney World to do a little research one year. <laughs> and so we're, we are walking down, you know, in Florida and Orlando. Oh, it's Tim Smith. And so I'm <laughs> laughing and I said, oh, they got you. And two seconds later, oh, it's Alex Garcia. <laughs> so, yeah, we can't even get away. We're that well connected. <laughs> So you go even all the way, you know, a thousand miles east of Orlando, you're walking around Disney and people are going to know who you are, huh? Yep, exactly. Yeah, that, that's great. You do it long enough, you know, uh, you know we, were in, we were in Cabo San Lucas just a couple of weeks ago and walking through the marina, you know, hey, Tim Smith, what are you doing here? You know, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. I'm on vacation. Leave me alone, you know. Yep. <laughs> but you can't say that. You got to say I'm on vacation. Cheers, you know, and be done with it. But but yeah, it, it, it's happened in, in, in uh, Madrid, in the airport in Madrid, you know, it's just... Mm-hmm. You, you, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what being a, a movie star is like. You know, because, you know, we can we can kind of get out of town. You might have one person, but think about a movie star. It's just I can't imagine. I don't, I don't you can't get away. Yeah. Yeah. It just it does show, though, your reach. And I think the reach, too, of broadcast meteorologists that they're touching so many more people than they possibly realize. You know, it's pretty cool stuff. Hey, do you guys have any last thoughts or any perspectives to share on these topics? Any last thing you want to share on this podcast? Um, well, I, you know, first of all, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. And we appreciate all that you're doing to help us with, with what we're doing at the National Tropical Weather Conference. I think um, when you kind of came on as a guest a couple of years ago and, and have been a, a regular since, we just, we love having you on and you're a real important part of what we're doing. And I love the research that you're doing and the work that you're doing. Um, I don't know where we're headed. I just encourage people, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're 
getting your weather information to make sure you're getting it from a reliable source. You know, there's websites that are going to give you garbage and you don't know that, you know, make sure you trust the source. That's so important. Um, and, and because you can get bad information really easily. And so know where you're getting it from, get it from a reliable source when you get it. Um, we try to be a reliable source for you, but we're not, you know, during a hurricane, you don't come to us for the latest bulletin. You come to us once a week for, you know, what's going on now, but trust your source. I think it's really Tim, I'm really glad you shared that perspective because there's just been an explosion of apps and all these sources of, you know, you hear people quoting and I'm like, where did you get that? What, you know, that doesn't align with the National Weather Service forecast at all or whatever. There's just so much more sources of information out there. And like you said, we have to be careful and make sure what we're getting our information from is reliable. It's so important. Yeah, and there's websites that, you know, and and there's websites that put stuff out there, you know, the, the, the 30 day GFS that shows a hurricane in the Gulf and look, look out, it's coming. You know, it's like that has less chance of verifying, you know, so you just, so just know your, know and trust your source. Yeah. Thank you. Great perspective. Alex, any last thoughts from you? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's too many social meteorologists out there who have no background, who have nothing. They're just pulling stuff off and put it out there. So yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I echo that, that you need to have your source, trusted a very very trusted source and usually that's going to be the weather service or it's one of us your broadcast meteorologists which is why we really focus on the broadcast guys because we know they are the the people that communities will turn to when the weather gets bad that's the first thing the first person they go to is the local meteorologist so that's why we reach out there first Wow, what a great podcast with Alex and Tim. It was so great to get to know you guys better and learn the backstory behind the National Tropical Weather Conference. This was an action-packed episode, but I took away a few key points. Number one, the National Tropical Weather Conference is very intentional in its focus. It's bringing together broadcast and operational meteorologists, emergency managers, as well as science communicators. It is not focused as much on policy and academics, although some academics have sometimes come. So if you're passionate about science communication, with a focus on tropical meteorology, this is a really great conference for you. Number two, the size and format of this conference really works well for people trying to network and build relationships. I think this past year, between 100 and 150 people attended the in-person conference in South Padre Island, and everyone is in the same presentation session, shares meals together, and interacts a lot. For the young scientists out there, look for this type of conference to help you build relationships in your career. I remember as a grad student sometimes going to these mega conferences with 5,000 people and often feeling lost. A smaller conference that keeps everyone in the same session, sharing meals together, really helps you network and build some deeper relationships that can extend well beyond the conference. Number three, I really like that Alex and Tim shared that perspective on how rapidly the landscape of science communication is changing. Social media has exploded opportunities for us to do broadcast on social media like Facebook and Twitter Live, as well as Instagram, TikTok, and many of these platforms that are popular, especially with the younger generation. It's amazing to see how much things have changed over time. I was obsessed with weather as a teenager in the 1980s. Back then, I had to wait for the tropics 
tropical weather update on the Weather Channel 10 minutes before the top of every hour. If I missed the update, I had to wait another hour just for basic info like a hurricane's intensity. Of course, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I didn't have the benefit of watching local tropical meteorologists like Alex and Tim in Texas. Then in the, 19, in the 1990s, the internet came around and enabled us to go to a website 24 hours a day to get weather information and you know find out the latest info from the National Hurricane Center. Now in the past decade, everything has become so much more interactive. Imagine this, you can participate in the National Tropical Weather Conference weekly online, and this can be an interactive experience. You can send in questions in real time and Tim Smith will ask them to the expert of the week. That level of interaction was unimaginable even a decade ago. I hope to see you in person next April in South Padre Island for the National Tropical Weather Conference. And don't forget, every Wednesday morning, there's a virtual conference. I sit on the science panel most weeks, and so I get to interact with the guests. I do a lot of learning myself, and I hope to see you there. Thank you so much, Alex and Tim, for a great podcast and for all you do to bring together the hurricane community. Thank you to our loyal listeners for your support of what we do here on GeoTrek. And of course, a huge thank you to our GeoTrek production and marketing team, our team Team members are Seneth Baker, Ashley Anderson, Jeremiah Long, Helen Sabato, Christopher Cook, and Amy Wilkins. I'm Dr. Hal. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek Podcast.